pico and sepulvera, pico and sepulvera, pico and sepulvera, pico and sepulvera. Libby, Libby, stop. Knock it off. What? Knock it what? off. No, what? You won't believe what I just saw. What? I just saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand. Really? Where? Walking the streets of Soho. In the rain. Oh, what, what, was, what was he doing there? He was, he was looking for someplace, um, what's, it, what's it called? The whole, uh, fuck, I don't know. Um, he's probably going to get a big dish of beef chow mein or something. <laughs> And welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what is shaking? Ow! Ow! It's a little late for Halloween, but we're still talking about werewolves. Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So, we find yeah, like you said, we finally kind of crossed through the forbidden zone into this weird nether realm between Halloween and Christmas, and I don't really know what to do with myself. (laughs) It's like as as you and everybody know, like I'm like the Christmas guy. I have a Christmas podcast, but it's like. It still feels too early for all of that shit, you know? It kind of is. I mean, you guys are called Christmas creeps, but it is. It's early. It's too early. It I'm not really. ready. My, my, my jack-o'-lanterns are still out. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so tonight on the show, we've, uh, we're have we switching gears like dramatically from the last <laughs> episode. To be honest, anything would be switching gears dramatically from Forbidden Zone. Yeah, like the only way... The only way it would be like staying in the same lane would be like if we did a second episode on on Forbidden Zone, but that's not going to happen. We have to right. get out and move and move on. At least not until we get uh, Forbidden Galaxy. That's true. One of these days, it's going <laughs> to happen. I believe it. Uh, so, real quick before we dive into uh, the meat of this episode, Libby, we've got some uh, business to take care of from last episode. Yes, Libby, we take do. Take it away. So, I. Uh... All of you out there listening, only a, a handful of you, I think, had actually ever seen Forbidden Zone, which is a shame because you really should. It's definitely something different, you know, just different, weird. So um, we put out our poll and with 40% of five votes, Pico and Sepulveda and Squeeze at the Mooch are tied. Forbidden Zone got 20% and nobody gave a vote to Witch's Egg. You People are monsters. I say that every week. Give Susan Tyrell some goddamn respect, please. Yeah, I almost said there were no losers this week, but there was one, and her name was Susan Tyrell. I know. How dare you, people. So, I uh, remember to vote in the poll after this. After you listen to this podcast, and retweet so we get a larger sample. You know, show everybody yeah. what you're made of. Absolutely. And if you're listening to this, you know, months and months down the road, just remember the brand new episodes come out and then the poll comes out that day. So make sure you're on it. You're on your game here. Yes. And we just want to put out, 
you know, we, we're nearing our 25th episode. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends, retweet it, share with others, spread the love. We love doing it. We want you to love listening to it. Absolutely. And also, you know, like every other podcaster and YouTuber out there, you know, like, comment, and subscribe. You know, actually leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever it is you're listening, because that lets other people know that this might this is a fun show worth listening to. And you can kind of explain why you think uh, Joe Wade and Libby Cubmore are absolutely the greatest at what we do. Because We basically are. We pretty much are. Wow. Not All to right. toot our own horns here or anything. <laughs> but we rule. So I... Uh, all right. You want to get into the color of money? Yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> Libby, do you remember when they used to make movies, like real movies? Movies. I, you know, maybe. Movies I don't that know. that didn't have like hammer gods and laser swords, but just like regular ass people. I guess I don't know. I think they've always made garbage movies. <laughs> I mean, they have, but, like, remember when those were the kinds of movies that were everywhere and you didn't have to go and sit in a dingy basement theater to see them? Like, that was just all that was playing at the multiplex was movies like The Color of Money. Uh, I had a one-screen movie theater in my town, so I'm all for dingy basement theaters. Bring them on. Well, okay, fine. With Martin Scorsese back in the news for calling Marvel movies theme park rides, I thought which it would kind of... Which they are. Which, listen... First and foremost, Marty's right, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever else you feel about it, he's definitely right. 100%. But but for now, though, I thought now would be a good time to talk about a Martin Scorsese film. And we were going to do The Departed, but we just end up talking about the Dropkick Murphys uh, shipping up to Boston mm-hmm. eight times in a row. Yeah. Remember when, in the early aughts, when everybody was obsessed with, like, Irish punk bands for some reason? Briefly. It was... I think it was we were trying to course correct after being obsessed with ska bands. Yeah. And I don't know if we went the right direction. I mean, I got no problem with the Dropkick Murphys. I played them at my wedding. If you want more on that, listen to our episode on music on uh, the Shattered Shield. I'll tell that story. Um, But I can really go the rest of my life without hearing shipping up to Boston. <laughs> yeah, for real. I'm like, good. There, there was that weird, like, little, like, couple of year period where it was like everybody was obsessed with like flogging Molly and Dropkick Murphys, and then The Departed came out and just like ruined it for everybody. Thank yeah. God for that. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's a there's this loud, annoying contingent out there that doesn't really know anything about Martin Scorsese movies, and they think that all he makes are just gangster movies. Even though, like, he has directed seven movies this decade, and only the one that's coming out this month has anything to do with the mob. But that hmm. doesn't matter. Details don't matter. Yes, apparently. Not on the internet, they don't. Not on the internet, no. But a lot of people either forget, or they just straight up do not know, that he's also, like, one of our most prolific music documentarians. Like, just yes. this year, he's released his second Bob Dylan documentary, and he also has done documentaries on the Rolling Stones, on George Harrison, on the band. The Last Waltz is, like, one of the greatest rock movies ever. So, like, he's definitely, like, steeped himself in, like, the music, you know, the, the rock and roll scene for the last, like, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. And he had the miniseries Vinyl, which uh, yes, was not yes. particularly well received, but it was there. Right. So on this episode of the OST Party, I thought it'd be fun to go back and take a look at 1986's The Color of Money. Yes, it is a crime film in the sense that it's about pool hustlers, but it's also one of several of Scorsese's movies that like are is elevated and made iconic by its u- the way it uses music. 
Yes. And the soundtrack features like a number of classic rock mainstays and um, sort of the icons of the genre. And the film makes use of their music in, in ways that have been like parodied repeatedly since then. And I feel like this was like a good one to pick. If we were going to pick any Scorsese movie to talk about on the soundtrack show, this would be the soundtrack to do. Yeah, you're also just trying to butter me up by getting Warren Zevon on here. I mean, that that's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'll accept it. <laughs> Anywho, so I've been rambling on enough, but I have one last bit of uh, business to conduct. We have to go to billboarding school for just a minute. Yes, please. Because The Color of Money did chart. Um, it debuted on the charts, the Billboard 200, at number 146 on November 15th, 1986, right in between uh, Dawkins' Under Lock and Key and Metallica's Master of Puppets. So that's that's the um, that's the crowd that it's hanging out with. That wow. Same, that same week, though, the soundtrack to Tom Cruise's Top Gun was still in the top ten. It was, so like, it was Tom on Cruise, cruise control. Ah, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. <laughs> Oh God! But uh, so also uh, on the on the Hot 200 this week were the soundtracks to uh, David Byrne's True Stories, very Rob, nice. Rob Reiner's Stand by Me, yeah. and the uh, C. Thomas Howell tragically racist college comedy called Soul Man. Oh boy! Have you ever seen Soul Man? I have not, but I saw Forbidden Zone, so I think I've had enough blackface for my entire life. It's literally a movie about a white guy who goes goes to college in blackface so that he can get a minority scholarship that's literally the plot of that comedy it's so funny wow <laughs> that's it, like we're, we're gonna get a remake and it's gonna star like a bunch of third tier like red hat wearing douchebag actors so like kevin sorbo in soul man it'll just be like triggered lips I don't, yeah i don't even know how to make a joke about what that remake would look like <laughs> I just I don't want to. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Yikes. It's coming. Everything's going to get remade. Mm -hmm. just... James Dean's yeah. coming back from the dead as a digital actor. It's going to happen. We just have to let it I... do its thing. Oh my God, I can't even get into that. No. I'm so angry. Any... Okay. Anyway, last bit of, of, of this. Uh, the soundtrack to Color of Money peaked at number 81 on its fifth week. It lasted 15 weeks on the charts. The week it fell off the charts, the number one soundtrack in America, the soundtrack to Little Shop of Horrors. Yes! I will accept that. That so is a great soundtrack. America had pretty decent taste in soundtracks for like that one brief period of time. Yeah, we did. All right. So I guess moving on, Libby, had you seen or heard of The Color of Money before? I had heard of it, and it seemed like one of those movies that is beloved by dads, and as I am not a dad, I did not watch it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you? Yeah, I, again, I've, I've seen, I mean, I've seen scenes from this movie on, online for years and years, so I finally sat down to watch it for this show, kind of put them all together in order, and, huh, it's, it's, an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting film, he said very tentatively. <laughs> I stand by my claim that it's for dads. This is like King Dad film. Mm, it, it Not is. daddy. No. Just dad. Your dad who, you know, just wants you to wear a sweater. Make sure that uh, you have good socks. And, you know, a dad <laughs> film. It's, it's Yeah, it's kind of like the supportive stepdad of films. Like, nobody wants it, but here it is. Scorsese is a dad rector. All of his films are beloved by dads. This is true. 
Like, and I'm not even going to argue it. Like, it's totally yeah. true. All dads are required. Like, when you became a dad in the 80s, you were required to like Goodfellas. And you were required to probably do an impersonation from it. Your pick, really, but... Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, my, my friend Brad, he and his wife just, just uh, had their first child. And I'm pretty sure he... I'm pretty sure he knows all the words to The Departed now. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just... It just it, happens. You know. So, uh, congratulations, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. I hear everybody's doing great, so... I'm glad. All the, I'm all glad. the love in the world to them. Yeah, um, Yes. So, yeah. No. <laughs> the color of money is I think it's interesting and and well worth discussing. It's just it really is kind of a Sunday afternoon kind of movie. Mhm. And the soundtrack very much is a Sunday afternoon sort of soundtrack. Yes. And there's a a lot to talk about with the soundtrack because it for me at least in being really like entrenched in this kind of music. Mm-hmm. We'll talk again, dad rock. Yeah. Um, which, despite not liking dad movies, I love dad rock. In the past, uh, since we recorded the last episode, uh, I have seen Steely Dan and Elvis Costello. Not definitely. Not the first time for either, either. No. <laughs> and definitely more so at Elvis Costello. I was easily the youngest woman there. Oh my God. Oh, it was great. I had my pick of dads. Any dad I wanted. And it's a slightly younger dad crowd at Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. Like definitely more in my like daddy tastes. Like dads of teens, probably. Yeah, so like mid fifties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But oh yeah. Oh yes. So definitely I guarantee you that all the dads at the Steely Dan show Steely Dads as we call them. Uh, I definitely love this movie. Oh, I probably yeah. should have asked them. So what do you think of the color of money and they would have told oh, me all you, about you could it. have gotten like on the street interviews that would have been great <laughs> and also just i guess just to get the the breadth of like uh female opinion over here uh my girlfriend asked me what we were doing for our next episode and i said the color of money and she said what's on that soundtrack and i told her and she said who <laughs> don't you know robbie robertson and and robert palmer and uh muddy water no not not muddy waters uh, but you know those guys. Who? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> because we're determined to stay relevant. Yes. And pick on Marvel nerds. Let's be real. That's well, what I mean, we're here for. Yeah. This is. I mean, call this a dad movie all you want. At least it's a real movie. Yeah. With and, with actors and a plot. <laughs> and I'm all for like you know what? Let people like what they like. I'm a big oh, sure. proponent of that because I love garbage film, but. To put this in perspective, uh, for like two years, I kept asking Ian when Captain America Winter Soldier was coming out, because I didn't realize it had already come out. Wow. And he's like, they're, they've made like four movies since then. Like, really? Huh. How about that? Because like, I knew that it was a thing, but it never registered that that was like a movie that was playing in movie theaters. Well, the, the the machine moves so fast now. By the time everybody realizes that a movie should be out, they've already moved on to like the the fifth or sixth thing on the list. I know. I'm very confused by all of them, and I really don't have like the the nerd hate that's in my heart is mostly reserved for Star Wars. Oh yeah. Um, but I know people who will go see the Marvel movies because they're like, well. There, I know what I'm getting. It's like that's not the 
point. That's the reason you go to Taco Bell. Yeah. And it's like my thing with if you like them, you like them. That's fine. They're fine popcorn fare. But don't try to sit there and tell me they're movies because I and dudes do this. They'll be like, they're actually really good movies. No, they're not. They are generic. They use just false emotions and heavy handedness to make you like think that you care. And yes, McDonald's is technically food. But it's not. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, in that you put it in your stomach and it, you know, I guess you could also do that with packing peanuts. But it's technically meets a legal definition of food. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you want to go there on a date night. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I find Scorsese, personally, I find him a bit like a high end but still chain steakhouse. Like an O'Charlie's or a Longhorn or something like that. Yeah, it's still good. But it's a little tiresome after a while. Mm-hmm. It definitely a, a, makes the same type of film. A little Scorsese goes a long way. Exactly. And I feel like watching this, there are set, certainly scenes and set pieces in this film that I've read up on. And those were considered like flat, like too flashy by half. And now it's just like, oh, people do that shit all the time now. Nobody cares. Yeah. And I definitely recognize that this was likely innovative when it came out. I mm-hmm. was like three when this came out. Right. So, you know, it's... <laughs> It doesn't land with me probably the way it did. It's but it's a solid film. Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to take that away from it. And I guess for my part, like my beef with Marvel nerds, like hitting back at what Scorsese thinks about their movies. When your argument is, "Oh, well, our movies made more money than yours ever have or ever will," that's not necessarily the point, is it? No, I mean, like people make a lot of money selling crack and exactly. heroin. Plenty. Like, the Kardashians have a ton of money. They're still garbage people. Kanye, Kanye West, ton of money, complete asshole, mm-hmm. and a worthless human being. The Disney Corporation, more money than Jesus. Kind of a terrible company, as it turns out. Because, yeah. you know, and, and like not only did the Scorsese thing come out in, since the last episode, but also this whole issue of Disney putting Fox movie titles in the quote-unquote Disney vault and taking them away from, like, you know... uh repertory film screenings so that you can't book that stuff anymore like that's terrible on its that's face it's terrible level. yeah like if disney had like, i don't even, i don't even have an analogy for that it's just it's straight super villainy like you can you can buy the company that created alien but then to take alien and put it in the vault away from all the prying eyes of paying customers just seems wrong yeah that being said uh oh Oh, Ridley, that... Disney princess, talk amongst yourselves. Ooh, I'm into it. <laughs> I'm into it. Uh, speaking of which, The Color of Money, produced by Touchstone Pictures, a Walt Disney Company division. So good luck so, seeing that at your local art theater. It's in the vault. It's It's been in the vault. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to throw it to you now, Libby. Libby, quickly, quickly and briefly explain what this movie even is. Oh, boy. Um, this movie follows Fast Eddie Felsen, who we last saw in uh, 1961's The Hustler. He's retired. He's just working as a liquor salesman. And then he sees Tom Cruise just crazying it up in his local pool hall and decides he's going to take him on the road and 
teach them some skills and take 60% and they're going to hustle. And Tom Cruise is obnoxious the whole time. His girlfriend, Carmen, learns more about hustling and is awesome. And there's a lot of like dad lessons along the way. It's Tommy Boy with pool. It's, it's, it's exactly Beavis and Butthead to America with pool. No, not really. <laughs> no, but this is like another road trip movie. Like we kind of fell ass backwards into another road trip. We love road, tip, road trip movies. There's going to be a nine ball tournament end of April, Atlantic City. There'll be a lot of action there. I think we ought to go. We? Yeah, me, you, and Carmen. Yeah? That sounds like a lot of fun. Best part is we ought to leave tomorrow. Tomorrow? When I leave today, tomorrow. <laughs> what is it with this guy? <laughs> Crack me up. Vincent, if you're going to take the plunge, give yourself a fair shake. Because this one, like, they're they're kind of on the road, hustling along the way to make the money to get to the big pool um, tournament in, I guess, New Jersey? Yeah, in Atlantic City. In Atlantic City, yeah. So. Which I didn't realize until watching this, like, beginning to end, this is the movie that the Fairley Brothers Kingpin is a parody of. Like, oh almost directly. And I didn't, I never knew wow. that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, wow. But, uh, when we, we will at some point do an entire series on the films of the Farrelly brothers and Kingpin is definitely one of them. Oh yes. Yes, indeed. Cause we, but you best believe we will talk about blues traveler. Oh yes. <laughs> I will say things that will probably get me kicked out of like music coolness, but I don't care. John Popper will search himself on Twitter and yell at you repeatedly. No, he's going to like me. Cause I have a weird soft spot for blues traveler. Oh, okay. Yeah. So here's my question. Uh, are you a pool player? Not professionally. Not even <laughs> amateurly. I know how to play pool. That's about it. I, I can't do trick shots. I can't uh, run a table. None of that shit. No. I have you? theoretically been taught how to play pool. I stink at it. Mm. And it's one of those things I like. We used to, There was a pool hall in Binghamton that my friend uh, Jason and Mike and I used to go to and really just kind of fuck around. Um, I like sitting on the edge of a pool table and looking really sexy. Not a good pool player. Eh. We had fun, but I haven't played since. So what you're saying is between between my amateur level skill and your ability to to lean on a pool table, you and I could road trip across America just using those skills. Yes, and we would be... uh, good for guys like Vinny to practice losing to in order to hustle bigger marks. <laughs> yes. Th- those those are the services we are rendering, and that's how we make our money. <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise, hit me up. That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. So I guess the last thing I'll say before we really get into the film and the soundtrack is that while I was driving around listening to this, because that's how I listen to these soundtracks for our show, I drive around town and listen to them. This made me feel like I was trapped in, like, a weird John Hughes movie. <laughs> like, not like one of the good ones, like Home Alone or Vacation, but, like, like one of the ones where, like, some rich guy who really shouldn't have kids at all, like, all of a sudden realizes he has, like, six of them and has to drive them all across country back to his house. <laughs> it, th- this music feels like, a, like the soundtrack to that movie. That Inci- is a very inc- specific <laughs> fantasy. Incidentally, I've never seen a John Hughes movie. <laughs> I could be completely wrong. Wow. 
It, it just has that sound of like a sad dad driving across country. And I know we we're harping on the dad thing, but it's just so true. Wow. <laughs> I okay. don't know. We're going to make a movie because uh, this is set uh, 25 years after the events of The Hustler. Mm-hmm. And so yep. now we're going to make a sequel and it's going to start Tom Cruise as a dad who uh, picks up a kid that maybe doesn't have like a good dad, but he's a really excellent pool player. And he's going to learn, the, he's going to teach him the same lessons that uh, Fast Eddie Felsen taught mm-hmm. him. And there's going to be a really sad heart to heart scene when when, when uh, Vince takes takes his kid to the gravesite of Fast Eddie. It's going to yeah. be so dramatic and so sad. And then they're going to realize they both love each other. It's Yeah. This is, we've written a really good movie. We've written, we've just written Hustler Three, um, which is a, not a sequel to Hustlers, unfortunately. unfortunately. <laughs> but I think this has merit. D- uh, Walt Disney Company, Bob Iger, hit us up. We we yeah. have an idea. Yeah, let's do this. It'll it'll um, cost ten million dollars. Uh, You'll make back a hundred. It'll be perfect. Then you can put it in the vault, and no one will be able to see it ever again. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus, stream it for one week. Yep, we got this. We did it. <laughs> So this was uh, one of the many, many Martin Scorsese films that Robbie Robertson, lead guitarist and primary songwriter for the band, as featured in The Last Waltz, did the soundtrack for. And in a lot of places, he paired with uh, Gil Evans, who did a lot of work with Miles Davis, especially on The Birth of Cool. So already, right off the top, that opening title, so fucking slick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, just so fucking smooth. I was like, okay, this is for me. <laughs> uh, what? What's remind me real quick? What song was that? That's just the opening. Just like okay, okay. yeah. Well, because well, there's one song on the soundtrack just called the main title, and that bugs me. Mm-hmm. It's a great song, but it's just that it's called the main title throws me off. That's that's it. Is that the one? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this it's it's a great piece of music. Just it's, like you said, it's so smooth, and it sounds like something you'd hear in a smoky pool hall in the middle of nowhere. Yes, but in like 1960 something, which this is decidedly not. Yeah, yeah. So this this is this that's the soundtrack to the Hustler, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then it opens on the color of money, and you're like, huh? Oh yeah, here it's we go. 1986. Yeah. All right, and I guess we're uh, here now. It's weird to think that 25 years after 1961 is 1986. It's yeah. something about that doesn't quite compute. <laughs> Maybe that's just because uh, we are, what, 33 years removed from 1986? Yeah. Because that's when I was born. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I am older now than The Hustler was when The Color of Money came out. <laughs> Barf. Oh, anyway. Man. So the the song that I was actually going to lead into, and we don't even have to put this on here, it's just uh, something that I noted. A lot of the songs come come from jukeboxes playing in the background. Yes. And not necessarily intended to be on the soundtrack, but they're here anyway. And the first one that jumped to my mind was One More Night by Phil Collins. Fuck yes, let's talk about Phil Collins. Because so, so, I fucking love Phil Collins. So uh, yeah, let's. even though it's not on the soundtrack, here's One More Night by Phil Collins. I 
actually don't really even like this song because I like more Rock and Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. So, but I heard that I was like, my note is actually, is that Phil Collins? Yes, <laughs> that is motherfucking Phil Collins. <laughs> this is this is from like that weird phase Phil Collins had where he thought he was a Motown artist. <laughs> Every you know everybody went through that phase. Billy Joel went through that phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. just a weird a weird 80s phase. Um but it's weird to watch Tom Cruise during this because he's doing like he's overly playing video games and he's just like swinging around and being a ninja and it's really he's very just bizarre. Being a goofus, yeah. Cuz it doesn't match up to one more night. No, not Phil a Collins, bit. which definitely looks like this kind of or which definitely sounds like the kind of song that would be playing in this, frankly, depressing bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, sorry, where Eddie is trying to talk to his girlfriend, Janelle. And she's getting very confused about who, uh, who made which omelet. He's getting very upset about this. Yes, this is an, this is an important conversation we should have right now. <laughs> yes. Um, he apparently made an omelet with sour cream and caviar. Ooh, no, okay. No, thank you. Yeah, this, like, you had me at sour cream, but you lost me at caviar. And I do like caviar. I don't like sour cream, though. And also, I'm hmm. not really a fan of omelets. And anyway, I feel like putting caviar in an omelet is a waste of caviar. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's just eggs. Like, d- eggs on eggs is what it is. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so like during this scene, um, Fast Eddie's actual protege, played by John Turturro, like a young baby faced John Turturro, I know, he's so little, is trying desperately to hustle anybody in this in this pool hall, and nobody's taking the bait. And then that's when he kind of they kind of notice Vince Vincent Tom Cruise, uh, who is just he doesn't care, and like so Fast Eddie tries to hustle Vince for five hundred dollars. And he's like, eh. I mean, you can tell he kind of just doesn't. He's not into the game yet at this point, mm-hmm. but he knows there's he's, that, that Vincent's got something there that he can mold into yeah, a champion. Tom Cruise looks about the same age as he does right now. Mm-hmm. That we have aged. This movie has aged. Tom Cruise hasn't aged. Not a day. There's a Dorian Gray reference in an attic somewhere that I can't quite put my finger <laughs> on. <laughs> Ugh. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this one, Eddie sort of hatches his scheme. Eddie wants to take Vince on the road for six weeks to a pool tournament in Atlantic City. Just yeah, Eddie... he wants to teach him all of the hustle. So how to dump a game, uh, you know how to how to pick a guy to play, how to figure out, you know, who who's going to be your best mark. Right. And so he kind of. He kind of takes him under his wing and, and shepherds him into this world of pool hustling. And like the first real sort of test of his, I guess, skill is it's this, it's this, uh, it's like weird event. It's not really even like a pool event. It's just like a gathering in a bar. And the the song that's playing is very appropriate. It's called "Who Owns This Place" by Don Henley. Hey, party people! Uh, Joe here, breaking in real quick. I would have put. A clip from the Don Henley song, Who Owns This Place Right Here? But guess what? It literally doesn't exist anywhere on the internet. 
you have to get it from a CD, and we didn't have the foresight to do that before this episode came out. So uh, to Don Henley or whoever controls your estate and your affairs online, congratulations. You hate money. All right, back to the show. Now, it is well known among those of you who follow me on Twitter, at Libby Cudmore, that I, like the dude, just can't fucking stand the Eagles. Like, I hate them. And it's weird because I will give Don Henley, like, a little bit of space. Because, like, I like the Boys of Summer. Okay. Um, and I have, like, a weird soft spot for The End of the Innocence, which is a terrible song. But I kind of like it. This, no. This is one of those things with the Eagles. You can always tell an Eagles song. They just <laughs> sound like the Eagles all of the time. It's this unspeakable, an unmistakable genericness. There's the drum machine, fills. He seems genuinely questioning. Sort of like a mom who wants to, de- who's demanding to see the manager over an expired coupon. <laughs> She's like, who owns this place? Who no, owns really. This What's his name? Place. <laughs> so it's not even like a who owns this place? I own this place. Mm. It is genuinely, he is mad as hell and he wants to see the manager. And there's a distinction we should go ahead and make now because uh, I, I guess roughly half of the songs on the soundtrack were original, written for this soundtrack specifically. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, I mean, if you want to get into the lyrics of the song and what it's really about and how it works in the movie, this is kind of the song where Vince and Eddie are starting to kind of feel each other out and size each other up. Like, who owns this relationship here? Yeah, it's definitely. This is Fast Eddie's world, yeah. but Vince is just living in it. Or but is, is it? he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's... It's... The, the, line, the line that I wrote down that kind of, it's the whole song, monkey see, monkey do. You're watching him. He's watching you, mm-hmm. which is very basic, but like that's that's what's going on here. And it's in this very grimy pool hall. And one of the things I love is this movie is so ugly and dirty. It's not it's not sexy pool with like dames and glittery dresses. It is rundown, mm-hmm. and I kind of like that. It's not cocktail yeah no like they don't glamorize it at all no and it's in that there's a certain sexiness to it you know the linoleum is peeling everything's smoky it is you know it's all in these really bad parts of town Mm -hmm. and because my experience going to the pool hall in endicott is exactly that it was in a really shitty part of town and i i like that it feels very feels very real this is not glamorous and in not being glamorous it kind of becomes glamorous and also in this scene fast eddie tells vince that you don't go for the hall's main guy because you'll scare off everybody else if you beat him and Mm. we'll talk about that uh coming up in uh one of our next tracks right is a scene later Okay, let me let me kind of get us back on track. Uh, during during this kind of big sort of initial pool hall meet and greet, uh, Eddie tells Vince that that Carmen is thinking about bailing on him. Yeah, um, and it's sort of to make him man up and go along to keep her excited. 
And let's talk about Carmen for a second, because Carmen is legit my favorite character in this film. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. I practice that name a lot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she's great in this film. Like she doesn't get hardly enough to do, but she is fantastic. And everybody sort of treats her like garbage, mm-hmm. and that that is a, a criticism that uh, Scorsese gets a lot: is his women are not particularly well drawn. Which I think Carmen is very well drawn. She's underutilized. Yeah, it's 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 more just that there aren't enough women because there really are just two women in the entire film. Yeah, and, and yeah. but uh, during this, Eddie is telling Vince to play below his ability because he's trying to teach him how to hustle, and a bunch of guys threaten to beat Vince up, and they start kicking his ass. Eddie comes in and pretends to be his dad and hauls him off so that they don't have to pay up. Right. Which is a pretty good trick. It's a pretty good It's a shitty trick. But but it's kind of a cool one to have. That's the name of the game. Yeah, I kind of like that that hustle. Mm -hmm. So then they move on uh, to the the second uh, pool hall on their journey, which is more of a... uh, I wrote down it's a it's a black slash Latino bar that Vince acts super uneasy in. Like he's, Fast Eddie is perfectly at home because he's got a buddy here that owns and runs the bar. But Vince is I don't think Vince has ever seen a black person. No. <laughs> and here is we've got a we've got a big key scene coming up, uh, which I'm excited about, but we have to get through some Eric Clapton first. Yes. But um this I guess the point of sorry the point of this scene is I guess to illustrate what the game is. Yes. Because they explain it's not just, you know, uh stripes and solids pool, it's nine ball, which is very specifically different from like the typical uh game of pool that everybody knows. Yes. And now I guess this was a big thing in the eighties. I don't really know. Yeah. So uh it is this is uh Martin Scorsese gives the voiceover mm-hmm. in the beginning. Nine ball is rotation pool. The balls are pocketed in numbered order. The only ball that means anything, that wins it, is the nine. Now the player can shoot eight trick shots in a row, blow the nine, and lose. On the other hand, the player can get the nine in on the break, if the ball spread right, and win. And this also serves as a second lesson for Vince when you go into a pool hall you don't take out the top player because then no one else wants to play you exactly you play up you sort of earn your way up and the the big money men will notice you they'll want to play you and you can walk out with five or six grand as fast Eddie tells him right now while yeah sorry no go on Vince wants the quick score, but Fast Eddie knows if you work him for a little bit longer, the payout's a lot bigger. Yeah, that's the hustle. Yes. And during this, even though they are in this black bar in what I assume is, I think, supposed to be some Midwestern city, it's not Chicago. The first pool hall they were in was, I know it was in Lincoln, Nebraska. So it's somewhere between Nebraska and uh, New Jersey. <laughs> okay, so... it might So it might be Chicago. But outside, it's like not, an, uh, not big enough. Eh. Outs- I mean, yeah, it's some outskirt, you know, bar on the on the edge of a really shitty Midwest town. Yeah, for some reason they're playing Eric Clapton. It's in the way that you use it. Of all mm. the you know great blues that could be playing in this bar, 
They're playing motherfucking Eric Clapton. And that's partially because uh, Robbie Robertson co-wrote it with Clapton. But let's let's suffer through some of it, shall we? This song actually plays twice in this bar because, mm-hmm. like my ex's car, they only seem to have uh, one album. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's it's true though. Yeah, he this my ex would uh, love this soundtrack because he loved BB uh, King and Eric Clapton, and I assumed Don Henley because he was a terrible person. Eh, probably. I mean, <laughs> there's there's no accounting for taste, I guess. Wow. But yeah, it's it's odd that this is the song that gets played repeatedly in a in a black slash Latino bar. Mm-hmm. I whatever, okay. Yeah. Uh, fun it... thing about this song, though, uh, Eric Clapton released this as a single, independent of the movie, and it hit number one on the Billboard charts. God damn it! Well, dads love Eric Clapton. Yeah. They just suburban dads just they love him because dads... it's like the blues, but for white people. Mm-hmm. It's not too ethnic sounding. And it, it just reminds me of an old George Carlin line about the blues. Or he, he said, you know, what what do white people have to be blue about? <laughs> Did Banana Republic run out of khakis? Yeah. <laughs> so the lawn lawn isn't gonna mow itself, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. So Oh I <laughs> But so yeah, so Vince is is hustling like a motherfucker. Also at this point it, uh, we should we should note that Fast Eddie gifted him a very fancy looking uh, pool cue that he's he's he keeps trying to tell him not to break out the fancy pool cue because then everyone knows you're a hustler. That's yep. the sure sign of a hustler. Yup. <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, they, you know, they play some games and they go back to the hotel. And then what happens, Joe? Uh, well, first of all, um, Carmen hits on Fast Eddie like crazy. Does not this does not work because Fast Eddie then discovers that Vince has uh, once again fled the scene to go back to the bar to hustle some more uh, pool guys. See, I didn't see that she was flirting with him. Uh, I think he just he came into her hotel room and then shamed her for being naked. Like, what's up with that, Granddad? Well, I, but I, but at the same time, like I, she keeps giving him these looks, and they keep having these scenes like alone together. And I can't imagine that it's by accident that she keeps finding herself alone with Fast Eddie. I mean, I get it. Paul Newman's a legit snack, but I mean, it is Paul Newman. So, yeah, eh, yeah. I don't know. I I got the sense that uh, that she was more of a hustler than that. She wasn't interested in him romantically. Hustle. She just wanted to learn the hustle more than I mean, her idiot boyfriend did. That's a, that's entirely possible. Like I that I considered that but also like she probably is just really into fast eddie <laughs> i don't know see i i didn't get that vibe and isn't there a masters tournament you can play in i mean i've seen this on television you know them old golfers and stuff like an old timers tournament if you're too old to cut the mustard you can still lick the jar right nobody ever asked me for a refund honey not yet <laughs> i don't know it's just just the way that she like presented herself that second time i don't know we'll, it's we'll, just the way this... that she uses it 
Is that what exactly. you're trying to say? Exactly. I no. hate that you did that, but yes, it's true. No, I don't think so. I think she's just a girl <laughs> that likes lying around in her undies. I don't think she's romantic. She's romantically interested in anybody. I think she likes that sweet, sweet cash. Honestly, I want to see a whole film about her. She is the unsung hero of this film. Is Carmen? I, I could see it. I would see it. Yeah, let's let's totally. get a remake of the Color of Money from Carmen's POV. Mm. So we we're we're just full of these brilliant ideas tonight, and this is a brilliant idea podcast. No one no, no one is listening to them. Yes, <sighs> but Fast Eddie has to go back to the bar because Vince, without him, will certainly just ruin everything. And when he Which goes back to the bar. Does. He absolutely is, because during this scene, this is like probably the most famous scene in the entire film. It's been parodied on Community, and I'm sure like dozens of other places. Uh, Vince is running the table and dancing around like a jackass to Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London. Yes. Let's play a clip for everybody. Let's play the entire song now. howling around your kitchen door. Better not let him in. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Werewolves of London again. Ah, werewolves of London. Ah, I don't. This this song needs no introduction, really. No, it's motherfucking uh, werewolves of London. And I have to say, I was always disappointed that this wasn't used in the film An American Werewolf in London. Mm. So, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought this was like written for the movie, which, you know, I was a kid. I didn't know any better. Now I know better. And it still seems strange to me. So, what is this song? Like, you know a lot about Warren Zevon, so I know you know some juicy tidbits about this song. I do. And actually, um, I tweeted about this uh, right before we sat down to record. And my dad uh, just replied, it's about time you talk about Warren Zevon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so your That's dad's listening my... to everything that I say. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's paying attention to everything I tweet, which uh, I uh-huh. I feel bad for him because there's a lot of nude photos. A lot of thirst. Mm. My poor father. Uh, so this song began as a joke by Phil Everly of the Everly Brothers because um, he was watching the 1935 film Werewolf of London, and he suggested to Zevon that he should write a song uh, and adapt it as a dance. So hence the line, doing the werewolves of London. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, they wrote the song in 15 minutes. Whoa. And, but didn't take it seriously. And uh, Jackson Brown actually started performing it in concert. So did T-Burn Burnett. And um, so in, uh, it was considered... For uh, the first uh, Warren Zevon release uh, on Asylum, he had a previous album, but of his Asylum years, Warren Zevon is the first in 1976. It didn't get a release until uh, 1978's Excitable Boy. Mm -hmm. And it is about a werewolf walking around London. (laughs) He... uh, he alternates between being like very lovely. He's got this, you know, at one point he says, I'd like to meet his tailor. He says his hair was perfect, which is a line that um, Vince sings in, in the film as he's just kicking this guy's ass. And, and he's, and he's like primping his really 
stupid hairdo. Yeah. Let's, let's, real quick, we have to talk about Vince's hairdo. He has, I don't know if it's an afro slash pompadour or what, but good it's bad. lord. It's good lord, Tom Cruise. It's like a white guy flat top that's also a pompadour. It's not good. It's the worst. His yeah. hair was not perfect. No, it was not. Um, but meanwhile, of course, doing werewolf things like uh, little old lady got mutilated late last night. He'll rip your lungs out, Jim. So he's definitely like he's well dressed, but he is, in fact, a werewolf. Um, this song was Warren Zevon's most popular. It was a top 40 hit. It was the only top 40 hit of Zevon's career, which proves that you are all monsters and none of you have respect for a master. Uh, it reached number 21 on the Billboard Hot 100 that May. So that was May of 1977. Or sorry, May of 1978. Um, it is a great song. That being said, if you've never listened to Excitable Boy in its, in its full length, it is a perfect album. It is just wonderful. I love that album. Every song on it is perfect. And this song was a decade old by the time it was used in um, in The Color of Money. And so this song uh, had that resurgence in 1986. In 1987, Warren Zevon released uh, his album Sentimental Hygiene after a five-year hiatus uh, during which he went to rehab. Sentimental Hygiene covers that. Uh, Warren Zevon died in... Uh, 2003 at age 56 of uh, mesothelioma. It was very sad and I cried really hard because I fucking love Warren Zevon. Obviously. Yeah, I remember when that happened. That was was absolutely terrible. Like there was there was a whole um, who was I think it was like VH1 did an entire like series following him doing his last album at the time. Yeah, The Wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he sad. was, we, we really, things would be a lot better if we had him here with us now, I think. So um, I actually do have a funny story, though, about Werewolves of London. Okay. So I went to London in 2005, and it, as a way of honoring uh, Warren, I did, in fact, go to Lee Ho Fuchs. I will put a picture <laughs> up on, uh, uh, on the OST Party Twitter. Uh, they do not and have never had beef chow mein on the menu. Well, then that's a bullshit Chinese restaurant. <laughs> so I uh, had the werewolf. Uh, he was looking for a dish of beef chow mein. He did not get one at Lee Ho Fuchs. He would have had to go elsewhere. Lee Ho Fuchs has since closed down. Another great so hang- boss. So hang on, though. So I guess that first line is to imply that he then, when he didn't get the beef chow mein, he just straight up murdered someone at that Chinese restaurant. I think we can assume so. Maybe we should get an anthology series uh, based on Warren Zevon songs, but no, we're gonna get one based on Billy Joel songs because the world is a trash fire. That's how that Smashing Pumpkins song goes, right? Which one? The world is a trash fire. <laughs> that took me a minute. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, you know the the fucking uh, we didn't start the fire episode. It's just gonna be like a CNN documentary about the Cold War. Yeah, and it'll probably be directed by Martin Scorsese. So, so it'll be pretty good, is what you're saying. It'll be good, but it will upset nerds. Mm-hmm. And every dad well, in the world will like it. Every nerd will watch that and go, yeah, well, Avengers Endgame made $4.2 billion. Ooh. I don't, you know what? I'm on team. Everybody is terrible right there. That 
theoretical scenario in which Martin Scorsese makes a Billy Joel, an episode of the Billy Joel anthology series. I hate everyone in that scenario. Because it sounds so, like, that's that definitely would happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. That sounds too real We're to not happen. We're counting to happen. But, uh... Yeah, so uh, also Trader Vic's in London has also closed. Oh. I know this werewolf's going to be hungry and thirsty, so everybody just, you better stay away from him. Yeah, he'll rip your lungs out. <laughs> <sighs> and actually, uh, Warren Zevon, one more note about Warren Zevon. This could honestly become a Warren Zevon podcast. Um, his dad was, in fact, a bookie who handled volume bets and dice games for Mickey Cohen. Huh. So there is a mob connection there. So wow. which probably explains Scorsese. Yeah, so his affinity for Warren Zevon. Yes, indeed. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. Wow. So speaking of, of, of scams and potential mob connections, I guess moving on to our next scene um, is a scene a scene well, and a song. Hold on, what? we better finish out the cho- scene at Chalkies because it's important. Okay, okay, yeah, sorry. So at Chalkies, he takes on the the best pool player and wins while doing his Warren Zevon dance and Fast Eddie is not pleased he takes away the the pool cue from him and explains that yeah while he netted 150 bucks he lost out on the six grand mm-hmm. that the big the uh the high money roller would have so He's thinking, I can't teach you. You know, they have a big fight and a heart-to-heart, but he finally realizes, okay, you know what? Get back in the car. We're going to make this work. Real father-son stuff here. Yeah, oh, it's a bonding moment. Yeah. The petulant kid doesn't want to listen, but the dad knows what's best. Exactly. So uh, moving on to the next hustle. The next scene is a song and a hustle called Two Brothers and a Stranger. And this scam involves uh, Vince in a pool hall, you know, hustling, playing the game, trying to bet, you know, double or nothing. I'll, I'll make that shot again, double or nothing. And then uh, Fast Eddie and Carmen walk into the bar, pretending to be a couple. Mm-hmm. And Fast Eddie is making so much fun of Vince, like, out loud to the room while he's trying to complete this hustle. And the effect is that it gets the other people so agitated that somebody finally ponies up big money to see if Vince can make this shot because he's just so sick of hearing Fast Eddie make fun of him. (laughs) Meanwhile, Fast Eddie is getting very handsy with Carmen and Vince does not like it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so what do we have uh, playing here in the bar? This is, like I said, a song called Two Brothers and a Stranger from uh, Dire Straits frontman Mark Knopfler. Yes, let's hear some. The Dire Straits are 100% dad rock. This song, uh, it's, it's pretty good. I like it all yeah. right. It's a, huh. it's a it's a fine track. Like it it really does sound like 
A lot of these songs sound like background music, and this is definitely background music. Yeah. Uh, this one is, it's a little bit of a come down off of Werewolves of London. But as far yeah. as songs you could listen to sort of on their own, it doesn't necessarily match the scene. But I, I liked it actually going back and listening to it on the soundtrack. Yeah. It like, stood I, out for I me think... more then. I think, in, yeah, because you, you really don't notice it in the film, but, like, listening to it, it is kind of, uh, the best way to describe it, it's kind of like a, a, this might not be the right analogy, but like a pot boiler kind of feel. Like, it's, it's it's raising the tension, and, like, as Vince gets more and more agitated, the music is kind of, like, keeping time and make, mm-hmm. you know, moving things along. Mm-hmm. And and it, finally, that explosion where some guy finally plunks down a shitload of money to see Vince make this shot. Yeah. And just boom, there it is. That's the scam. And that's the, yep. And that's the scene. They later go out and Vince pushes Carmen. It's like, mm-hmm. for starters, Tom Cruise, you're like three and a half feet tall. She could take you. <laughs> oh, she could totally take him. Yeah. And that kind of, that made me mad again, the way that this film treats women. Mm-hmm. So actually I'm going to take that again because my cat pulled me away from the microphone. The way that this film treats women is just really kind of unacceptable. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's no getting around that yeah. really. So, um, it's a good hustle. It is. It's a great I'm... hustle, and I mean, Rob, our uh, Fast Eddie is having a little too much fun with it. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I kind of get the feeling that Vince, no, Vince knows that's the hustle, but he didn't expect on Fast Eddie, you know, getting handsy with Carmen, and like he didn't realize that was part of the game. That's the best and part. That's the best part is when the other the other hustler gets agitated and it's real. It becomes, you know, real life. Basically. Yeah. And Carmen knows that. And I again, mm. this film really, really underutilizes Carmen. It's just how good she is at at her hustling. And even uh, by the end, she's doing better at hustling. And he's he's still taking her for granted. He thinks he's so yeah. much better than her. He's basically every man on the Internet. Yeah, he doesn't realize that she's in on the hustle and not just along for the ride. Yeah, that she's yeah. really kind of the best hustler they got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because because not only does he not expect her, nobody else expects oh, her. Oh yeah. So this is a Carmen fan cast, everybody. That's true. Um. Then we get to this this uh fun little montage where like uh, Vince has finally agreed. Like, all right, I will do things Fast Eddie's way. And they start playing a Willie Dixon song, Don't Tell Me Nothing. Yeah, this is pool music. No matter what you heard, don't you tell me nothing. But don't you tell me nothing. And don't you tell me nothing. I can see a rock and rolling in the good for me. And don't you tell me nothing. Don't you tell me nothing. This is... For what this soundtrack is trying to do, this is the best song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it, and... this is this is the grimy pool hall, and I mean that in the most loving way possible. This is the hustle. Did you catch one of the guys that he's playing against? He's wearing an Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman shirt. Yes, Vince hustles Iggy Pop. <laughs> I love it. I was like, is that? And I sort of made that note, like, haha, this dude looks like Iggy Pop. Because my note previous to that was that he was looking, he was playing against some dude that looked like Walter Becker from Steely Dan. <laughs> and so I was sort of on like a music kick. And then as I was watching the credits, I'm like, it was Iggy Pop. I'm the best at spotting actors who are also punk musicians. 
pretty much the best I, at it. I had to stop and make sure that was Iggy Pop it before was. I was going to let, let myself move on. Yes. But it totally was. Oh, yeah. He doesn't say a fucking word. He's just in one shot and he's gone. <laughs> it's it's great. We love you, Iggy Pop. We love you so much. Yes. Um, but yeah, don't tell me nothing. This is this is the kind of, like you said, this is pool music. This is like the meat of the movie, I feel like. More of the movie should be like a montage of Tom Cruise hustling people. Yeah, because that's all we're here for. We're not here for like the heartwarming lessons. Yeah. And honestly, if I'm being perfectly honest here, I thought we were going to get a lot more like pool uh, mechanics than we got in the movie. I agree. I was sort I of looking for a little a bit more movie. of a tutorial. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. The best analogy I can think of, have you seen uh, Casino Royale, the Daniel Craig James Bond movie? We've talked about my James Bond experiences. So I yes. Forget. Okay. I'm sorry. And I got I dumped after things. it. So... Right, so 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 bad uh, bad vibes there, but like the way that movie like insists on teaching you how uh, Texas Hold'em works because that's all anybody cares about. Because it was poker, but two thousand five, and that was a thing all of a sudden. And Texas Hold'em ruled the world, so like I thought this was gonna be a movie all about teaching us how nine ball works because that was apparently popular in nineteen eighty six. Not so much, which I guess is good. Yeah, I mean they don't want to. They don't want this to be a tutorial. They want this to be a, a a drama, a film with a story and characters. So I get that. But, like, when you've got Tom Cruise learning how to do trick shots and stuff, you might as well use him. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel about it. And we do get some trick shots. I'm not saying we don't. But not nearly enough. Well, actually, I'm kind of glad that they didn't do a ton of trick shots. Because, again, that would have been too flashy. And I don't think that's what this movie was trying to go for. Maybe. It's not the coyote ugly of pool movies. Ooh. It wasn't trying to make pool look like, oh, it's a sexy new thing that everyone's doing. It wasn't, you know, break into electric boogaloo. It wasn't trying to get the kids into the pool halls. Yeah. If anything, it That's made fair. it look like really grimy and not all that fun. So It's like, oh, I'm going to get beat up if I go on that side of town. Like, yeah. That's what kids took from it, yeah, <laughs> probably. Exactly. Uh, but so we're going to move on now from, away from uh, uh, Willie Dixon on to... Uh, Robert Palmer, I yes. guess. Yes. And there's actually two Robert Palmer tracks on here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Let Yourself In For It and My Baby's In Love With Another Guy. And yes. I I love Robert Palmer. This, I had to look up the fact that this was Robert Palmer because I always think of him as a strictly pop guy. So things like Simply Irresistible, Addicted to yeah. Love, Didn't Mean to Turn You On, sort of a Tom Jonesian kind of a uh, British pop star. And so uh, this first one, let yourself in for it. It's very smoky. It, I mean, it does have those like big eighties horns. Yeah. Lots of brass stings yeah. in this one, but the, uh, the vocals were, you know, kind of soft in the mix and they it, were, this is, uh, this, it, it, it sounds like the kind of pool hall you actually want to be in. Yeah. Not the grimy, smoky one, but like the really the one where all the cool kids are hanging out. Yeah, and so I that was that took me a, a minute to sort of realize like, hey, Robert Palmer, and then yeah. uh, the other track, um, which is near the end of the soundtrack, "My Baby's in Love with Another Guy," mm-hmm. um, that has like a honky tonk swagger to it, so it's a completely different direction from an already different direction. But it's also like a merry-go-round. I'm just like, is it a country polka? I'm not really sure. Calliope? I'm not really <laughs> sure what that is. But 
I kind of dig it. Yeah, this is the, this is like the song that I most associate with the movie now. Not we're not really Werewolves of London because that song kind of stands on its own. Yes, but this sounds like the color of money is is basically what I'm getting at. Yes, this is what I think of when I think of this movie. Is this like kind of big bouncy sort of uh, not quite jazzy but not quite bluesy either kind of number. Mm-hmm. I, I dig it. I'm into it. Yes. So you know what? Let's let's put a little bit of, of the song here. My baby's in love with another guy. Yeah. That's like one of the last songs we hear in the film. It's, it's one that plays over the end credits, even. Yes. Um, yeah, because it, it kind of abandons the music. Um, yeah, at this point which in the film. I do want to talk about one other scene, though. Uh-huh. Where he gets hustled by Amos. <gasps> yes. Because... This is like the, the, the last like big scene in the film. I so, think. Well, before the, the big scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is the, the moment of darkness, I think, is, is what they call that in screenwriting. And yeah, he gets hustled by none other than Forrest fucking Whitaker. I, I like, let out a yell when I saw Forrest Whitaker. Hey, it's Forrest Whitaker. It's Ghost Dog. And yes, well, I was <laughs> excited because, uh, as my fans on uh, over at the Shattered Shield know, he shows up in season five as uh, Lieutenant Kavanaugh. Uh-huh. So, again, like, we're starting to see that crossover potential here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. But, yeah, so Fast Daddy's playing pool with uh, 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 Amos. Amos. You said his Amos. I missed his name. And uh, he doesn't realize before, until it's too late that he is getting hustled. And he's getting hustled hard. And he's, like, he's super confident. He's, like, you know, drinking. And at the end, he just realizes how badly he's been hustled. And then... Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Cruise, uh, or sorry, Vince, Carmen are like, come on, we'll get you back to the hotel. And he throws this big fit about how he can't teach him any- anything. And he's really, he's really embarrassed. He throws the money at him and says, you know, get out. And then what follows is him relearning the game. Because he hasn't picked up a pool cue in 25 years. And we know this because he tells us, but he never tells us why. And I assume that's covered in The Hustler. Yes, I will say I have not seen The Hustler. I, I should have for this podcast, but I did not do my homework. Yes, so that's okay. I do, I do hear it's a, it's a fine film in its own right, though. So. I hear it's actually um, the, a better film. This one, mm-hmm. um, while Paul Newman did win an Academy Award for this, um, they it, most people thought it was inferior. Uh, Siskel and Ebert mm-hmm. gave it uh, two thumbs down. Yeah, like a very rare two thumbs down for them. For a uh, Scorsese. It was the only film of his to receive such a review. Oof. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, it was nominated for Best Art Direction. It was nominated for Best Writing uh, Screenplay, uh, Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul Newman took home a, uh, a Best Actor win. And he, he is very good in this film. Oh, I think he's a phenomenal. Lot people, I think a lot of people, though, considered it like a, a, a Lifetime Achievement Award rather than like a legitimate win, though. That's that's fair so i guess it's fair but he is he's so good in this film like you can tell there's like a life lived in that character yeah indeed so let me ask you this really important question since we're talking about paul newman what's your favorite newman's own product 
Ooh, I did just have some zesty Italian salad dressing oh. Newman's own tonight, mm-hmm. so. I'm a big fan of their peach salsa. Mmm, that just sounds really good. So, um, and he's, he's, I mean, he's Paul fucking Newman. I mean, what do you want me to say? It's Paul Newman. <laughs> I know, I mean, like, anything we're gonna say is going to fall short of his greatness. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, at a, at a certain point, you just you can't argue with Cool Hand Luke. I yeah. Mean, just, yeah. Wow. So why bother? But no, Eddie runs off Vincent Carmen, and he has to kind of uh, belit- not belittle himself, but he has to bring himself low and get his eyes checked because he's not as young as he used to be. And he, I think he thinks that that was what was his problem. Like, he has to get a pair of corrective lenses. Oh, no. Oh, no. And he ends up getting some real, like, Donald Fagan-ass sunglasses like, there. He's wearing his sunglasses really rockin', indoors. Uh, like, rocking aviators, yeah. Yeah, he wears suspenders and turtlenecks, and just really, he really does, like, he looks like Donald fucking Fagan out there. <laughs> there it is. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so. And then, so, the, the big finale, okay, we'll, we'll wrap this up real quick, but the big finale of the film t- is the uh, the nine ball tournament. In Atlantic City. Which even Atlantic City looks grimy. Yeah. And I mean, the, even back in the 80s, it was it had a, that reputation but about it. even, like, the room... This is, like, the big, you know, pool tournament. And the room that they're all playing in, where they have all the tables set up, looks like a high school gymnasium. <laughs> it really, it really does. It's like a convention hall that used to, that it used to have, like, a Comic-Con. And now the pool convention... The pool tournament's coming into town. Yeah, and tomorrow so night, Gilbert Godfrey... Out. Yeah, exactly. But like having played in enough like pinball tournaments in my life, I can recognize this room immediately. Like it's that kind of a space mm-hmm. and that kind of a crowd. Like, these these are big pudgy motherfuckers who think they can they know a thing or two about sports. You're playing pool. <laughs> so um, it comes up where it is Eddie versus Vince. And Eddie wins. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt a little cheated at first until. Yeah. So Eddie wins and he is fucking thrilled. Like he gets alone and then starts celebrating to himself. And it's like, I wanted the film to end right there. See, like, I didn't. I Eddie was like, his... oh, okay. I get it. The old guy still wins. This is a movie for dads. So they feel uh, yeah, better well, I mean... about their sons but eddie got his win fuck vince vince sucks however vince does suck <laughs> but however what happens vince shows up with an envelope full of cash i gotta talk about these envelopes because okay. there's a very specific type of manila envelope that i have never seen that is constantly being used to hand cash back and forth it's small it's like a number 10 size envelope but in that, like, manila envelope color, that khaki envelope, I guess. Right, yeah. And you never see them except in movies. Like, I've never received a letter in one of those. They're only used to hand illicit amounts of cash back and forth. (laughs) We're going to get to the bottom of this. But the point is, he hands him a bunch of money and says, you're cut. Because he dumped the fucking game. He bet on vi- he bet on Fast Eddie to win and then took a dive. <laughs> oh, it's that's perfect. A, that's a hustle right there. I know. I was like, I hate Vince, but I was happy for Carmen because Vince is still <laughs> treating her like shit in the bar and saying she didn't do enough. And it's like, Carmen, babe, 
Go with somebody else. She, like, yeah, she's probably the one who told you to do it, Vince. Shut up. Yeah, you stupid dumb shit. <laughs> so, mm. and Eddie, of course, is heartbroken by this and forfeits his last game. Yes. But. But the final scene of the film, Eddie has to redeem himself. So he challenges Vince to one final game. Mm-hmm. They, they shoot their, their pool cues to see who goes first. Eddie says, hey, I'm back. And then freeze frame on Eddie as he breaks. Robbie Robertson starts to play. The credits come up. The film ends. We don't get that final game at all. Which I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad that Eddie's back. But, uh, man, it, that, that was a roller coaster of a final act, I'll tell you Oh, that. yeah. It's, it's a great final act. I didn't love this movie. That was a great mm. final act. Yeah. There's there's a lot of, of downtime in this in the early part of this film, mm-hmm. but like it really builds up to something that's pretty entertaining. Yeah, and a lesser movie. If this was you know Marvel's The Avengers, The Color of Money, uh, Vince would have won, and there'd be cheering and the sense of like, oh, I have passed the torch on to my young Padawan here, and no. And then in the in, in the mid credit scene, we see a defeated, downtrodden John Turturro building a robot pool cue for himself that he will use in The Color of Money 2 to destroy Vince forever. Okay, that is our third great idea from this film. <laughs> this is amazing. That's who, that's who Vince and his six kids, including his very special now adopted son, have to fight in the new movie. I just had a really awful thought. Do you think that John Turturro's character in this film got sick of the pool game, dropped the game forever, and picked up bowling and became the character we see in The Big Lebowski? I think the fact that we have a Don Henley song in this is what links them. Mm -hmm. So this exists in the Lebowski universe. Yes. It's canon now. We have declared it. The LCU, the Lebowski Cinematic Universe. Yeah, because let's make this a mar- everything's a cinematic universe now, so why not? Yeah, I also like to why think it exists in the Shield Cinematic Universe. I mean, it it all exists in the uh, the Saint Elsewhere Cinematic Universe in <laughs> inside the fucking snow globe. Yikes, buddy! Yikes! Yoof. I'm sorry. That's only TV. <laughs> Never mind. But that's the color of money, and it, we end on uh, Robert Palmer. No, we end on the main title, as it's called, by Robbie Robertson, and then My Baby's in Love with Another Guy mm-hmm. by Robert Palmer. So my question to you, Libby, is uh, what do you think of this as a soundtrack? Here's my issue with this soundtrack. I think it's a solid soundtrack. I would like to see the movie that this soundtrack was made for because the presence of, of Don Henley, of Warren Zevon, of Mark Knopfler – uh, even Robert Palmer a little bit. And there's a sunny sort of L.A. vibe to it, especially the uh, who owns this place. Very 70s, very sunny L.A. And and that's it's kind of that L.A. blues. It's heavy on the, the sax. You're sad, but it's also extremely hot out. It's kind of day drinking music, if you will. And this film was very cold. It was cold. It was muddy. It was rainy. It was overcast. And so I don't think big chunks of this soundtrack actually fit with the film it's on. And so especially 
as much as I love Werewolves of London, would not have picked that for that scene. It doesn't make sense cinematically. It doesn't read, except that he's hopping around. Right. Just the. I, it feels like they made they came up with that scene and then built a movie around it, maybe. Mm-hmm. But that song doesn't, to me, doesn't scream Nebraska Pool Hall or wherever the fuck they are. No, yeah. And s- I, I, I see what you're saying, though. It kind of, it feels like a bunch of L.A. musicians kind of play acting at, like, Midwestern, like, December miserable kind of blues music. I guess. And so, I well, I think the soundtrack is strong. Thematically, it all works together. I just don't think it's for the film The Color of Money. There's another film there. I feel like this should have kind of leaned more on the kinds of songs you would hear in jukeboxes at pool halls. Like, more like the Phil Collins number and not so much like Warren Zevon and and, uh, Mark Knopfler. Yeah, so a little more top 40, but maybe a few years behind. Yeah, like the classic, like the like the the pop and classic rock hits of like 1982, mm-hmm. maybe. So like, I don't know. The Cars probably wouldn't fit in here, but kind of that era of rock music. What I think, uh, what would have been good here is what my friends over at the Beyond Yacht Rock podca- podcast termed divorce core. <laughs> so listen to their episode of Divorce Core and pretend that's the soundtrack to uh, The Color of Money. You know, like, you kind of put the entire movie like in into into uh, like a, a different life for me. Like this is the kind of movie a divorced dad makes. Mm-hmm. This is because everybody's is... divorced dad's favorite movie. Yeah, because what is Fast Eddie if either a divorced dad or a soon to be divorced dad? <laughs> he he has uh, divorced dad energy. He does big DD energy. <laughs> <laughs> He was probably sitting next to me at uh, Steely Dad at the Beacon. I'll bet he was. <laughs> I bet he was having himself a grand old time. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, I guess, would you recommend either the film or the soundtrack? You know what? I kind of would. Really? Yeah. I kind of okay. dig it. There's there's definitely, like, a, a time and a place for this kind of movie, and I feel like we're just getting into it now. Like, it's November now, it's starting to get cool out, but it's not. we're not quite in, like, the, the dead of winter yet. And I feel like this is definitely a dead of winter kind of movie. Yeah, and it's, it, there's something, I hesitate to say classic, because it's such an overused word, mm-hmm. but because it's not polished, because it's not shiny, I think it really does have that human element. Like, it's not, it's not about playing pool. It's about sort of the the human hustle right and i did it's about, that yeah like the the younger the older generation passing down lessons to the younger generation even if it is how to grift people out of money yeah which i really like and at no point is it heartwarming or sweet no they don't sugarcoat this at all no i i'm i'm here for it so mm-hmm. what about you what are your thoughts mcclunky yeah, it's, it's, it kind of surprised me in a number of ways because, like, on the one hand, I really did pick this because it's an excuse to talk about Martin Scorsese when, you know, we're just so overwhelmed with like blockbuster movies and stuff, and like we just want to just want to watch a watch a normal movie and talk about a normal soundtrack for once, especially like after Forbidden Zone. Yes. But then when we get into the color of money, we get into the story, and we get into the, these characters, and like it's 
there's just as much going on like dramatically here as there is in anything else we could have possibly watched and the soundtrack really is it's not flashy and it's not trying to be in your face the warren zevon song kind of accepted Mm -hmm. because that is a very like flashy number on its face and it's great and i love it but the rest of the soundtrack really is just trying to kind of be background music yeah for like a pool hall kind of movie yeah and i get that and i enjoy that but it's yeah like i agree with you something about it kind of screams like they're play acting at the what the real music would be Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah it 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 is firmly a movie soundtrack it's not a real Mm -hmm. you're not going to hear werewolves of london in a bar in nebraska you're just not like like if if he wanted to make this like real and truly authentic, he would have gone to you know Lincoln, Nebraska, and found some bar band and said, "Hey, do you guys want to write the score to my movie?" That would have been pretty cool. Although I do actually, you would probably hear the band. So uh, yeah, maybe you know why not put um, the weight on there? It's a great song. It is. It, it might not be like a great song for like a 1986 kind of movie, but because that. I don't know. My sense of it is all of these pool halls are something that have been left behind by 1986. Oh, okay. And okay. So I yeah. like I the idea of maybe going back and picking some older music because these are guys who are sort of, they're still here. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of hustler days, the 60s are over, but they're still, they're still out there, you know, running so their scams. There is, there is kind of like a nostalgic element to like Fast Eddie and his lifestyle and his sort of worldview. Mm-hmm. And trying to pass movie. it on to somebody. Yeah. And also, then now that I'm just now thinking about it, this is exactly the kind of movie that they make all the time nowadays. A, a sequel to a movie that came out 25 years ago. We get like two of those a week now. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't and, thought and, about that. And so <laughs> this is this is exactly the kind of shit that like Netflix like likes to make to like bring back a dead property that everyone forgets about. <laughs> you know? Scorsese so, like, they, was ahead of the trend. Exactly. And if and if they legitimately really did want to make like Hustler Part 3, it would work just as well as this does. Like make Tom Cruise the fast Eddie character. Yeah. Make, you know, who's who's like the hot young dude out there right now like who plays Spider-Man right now? I don't know. Yeah. That kid. Make him learn how to do trick shots at a, on a pool table and have Tom Cruise like beat him up about it. Essentially, like, I mean we we're getting uh Top Gun. Yeah, it, so they're already doing it. It's just they're doing it for the wrong movie. Yeah, we <laughs> demand this. Scorsese, get on it. I mean, he can take his sweet Netflix money and do whatever he wants with it. Exactly. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Help us out. Oh, man. So I think, yeah, this is a, surpri- a surprising endorsement of The Color of Money tonight. I was kind of worried that you weren't going to be on board with this one. No, I'm actually, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of here for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm glad that I'm. I'm glad we've discovered, kind of discovered this one together because yeah. this is, this is, this has been a fun time. It has indeed. Um, that being said, have I got a treat for you next week? Oh my gosh, what are we up, What are we up to next week? We're gonna still kick it in the '80s. We're gonna still kick it with some bar bands, keeping some of the blues here, white guy blues. But we are going to uh, Jasper, Missouri, and we're gonna head down to the Roadhouse. Oh my god. So I'm thinking of all the things as Thanksgiving approaches. What am I most thankful for? Patrick Swayze. Roadhouse is my favorite movie. <laughs> and I cannot wait to talk That's about gonna it. That's going to be a great time. That's going to be a great time. <laughs> 
so that's going to do it for the OST party for this week. So if you have any questions or comments, you can leave those on t- our Twitter at OST party or email them to us at ostpartypod at gmail.com. Uh, Libby, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Or you can listen to me talk about uh, The Shield over on the Shattered Shield podcast. Where can they find you, Joe? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat. Or you can hear me talk about Christmas movies uh, twice a month on the Christmas Creeps podcast. We are deep into the middle of Clark's Giving, where we talk about the Christmas movies of Bob Clark. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Next next up, I'm going to tease it right now. Next up, we're talking about a Christmas story. Yes. And it's going to get wild. Oh, I can't wait. Uh so for the OST party, I am Joseph Wade and I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs>